Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Sagium, where creating wealth is just the beginning. For many of us, planning our financial future can be an abstract and sometimes daunting task, especially when you don't have a framework to work with. The value of a well-thought-out plan can help create a financial roadmap for your future self. At Sagium, they took a hard look at the industry and did not like what they saw. Self-serving behavior by industry professionals, conflicts between what was best for the client versus what was best for the advisor, not taking the time to fully understand the needs of their clients and most importantly, their families, a true lack of collaboration across the entire sector where they were willing to provide diverse value-based advice to clients. Armed with 70 years of experience, Sagium set out to do it differently and provide a solution that truly made a difference in the lives of their clients. The Sagium advisors and wealth strategists focus on wealth, health, corporate, and health solutions that are inextricably linked to your personal vision, values, and goals. They take a holistic approach to work with you to answer the following questions. Will we be okay financially if we retire? How can I plan for medical uncertainty? Is my business on my own terms? And how do I protect and distribute my money from an estate perspective? While we all know that life is never a straight line, at Sagium, the team focuses on relevant, insightful, and consistent conversations to bridge the unexpected, to construct your personal wealth plan, and to support you every step of the way. Sagium is also a proud member of our community and donates 1% of their top-line revenue every year to the charitable sector. FYI, folks, I'm proud to share that I'm personally part of the Sagium family. I joined them about two years ago, and I sleep better at night knowing they're in my corner for me, for now, and for my family's future. To learn more about how Sagium can help you and your family, please visit them today at www.sagium.com. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Alex Sarian. How are you, Alex? I didn't. Did I get your last name right? I hate. I hate when I blow that right out of the gate. No, you got it perfectly, Alex Sarian. Excellent. Well, Alex, fantastic. Thank you. That's. A, I like to get my early wins in. Getting the name right is critical. <laughs> you are president and CEO at Art at Arts Commons, and I'm going to be bold and say. If you live in Calgary, you've driven by, you've walked by, you've seen it. If you've been fortunate enough, you've attended. But for many of us, and I'll put myself in that category, I've definitely walked by more than I've walked in. So let's start by leveling the playing field. What's at Arts Commons, and what do you got? What are you guys all about in the role you play in the city? So there's the there, there's there's the soapbox for you to let us let us in. <laughs> I appreciate it, Tyler. And 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 there's a massive disconnect because there is what Arts Commons was built to do, um, and I, and. and and it's actually pretty amazing when you think about the history of Calgary when that was built and what Calgary was saying to the world hmm. when it decided to, to build what is still one of the largest performing arts centers in North America 40 years ago. And so there's the side of the history of Arts Commons that is bold and ambitious and very Calgarian in its adventure, which is essentially that in 1985, when Calgary had a population of 600,000 people, some brilliant community or some brilliant civic leaders said, you know what we need in Calgary with a little over half a million people? We need one of the largest performing arts centers in North America. And over 560,000 square feet of arts and culture space designed to serve over 300,000 patrons a year, built as a home for three resident companies. Um, that was 40 years ago. What nobody knows about, and, and this is, I'll, I'll, I'll do the celebratory version first and then I'll do the sadder version later. The, what nobody knows is that within a year, the Calgary Philharmonic was operating at capacity. 
that was mind-boggling for, for, for a city Calgary size. Over the next 40 years, we have gone from hosting uh, and being home to three resident companies to six resident companies. We have gone from accommodating 300,000 patrons a year to over 600,000 patrons a year. We, Calgary's, Calgary's size has gone from 600,000 to what is expected to be 1.6 by 2025. So over 40, 45 year period, everything around us and inside us has grown, but Arts Commons itself hasn't. So that's, the, that's sort of, uh, I'm setting the stage for, for, for a later part of the conversation. But the other side of Calgary's perception of Arts Commons, and this is where I, I, I both scratch my head and have a lot of fun, is that when I first got here, I went on a very intense listening tour of people that are within the arts world, without, uh, outside of the arts world, and the, the, the comment I got the most from the average Calgarian, and I shouldn't say that because nobody, nobody's an average There's Calgarian. There's no such thing as the average Calgarian. Calgarian. I know. Yes, absolutely. But, like, but, but I, I am always more curious about who's not coming and why than I, than I will ever be curious about why people are coming. And when talking to people about why they didn't come here or the comment of, oh, that's, you're that brick building that I walk around and I don't walk through. And so on the one hand, and this is a long-winded way of answering your question, on the one hand, there's so much that Calgary has to be proud of in terms of the promise that was delivered by creating Arts Commons in 1985. And on the other hand, we're not part of the sort of uh, the, the, the ethos of what it means to be a Calgarian. And it's so mind-boggling to me because Calgarians are they are experience hungry. They always, you know, like I've never met a, a city, maybe Austin, but I've never met a city that is just so hungry for things to do and loves experiences and arts and culture fits squarely into that. And so really what we're trying to do is we're trying to, or I'm, what I'm trying to do with an amazing team and colleagues is to marry the gap of here's this thing that Calgarians have to be, I mean, we're the largest art center in Western Canada, the third largest in the nation. Calgary loves being proud of something, and, I, and, and this should be one of those things. And um, so, yeah, I think there's a really interesting opportunity to, to bring these two worlds together so that they don't live in tension anymore, but rather say, this is what makes Calgary unique, and let's make sure that it's for all Calgarians. That was a fantastic answer, and I've got a million questions. So uh, curious, and this will tie into maybe a little bit of your journey, because looking at your, of course, I'm a professional creeper, so I'm on LinkedIn checking out your back, checking out your background. And I always appreciate when someone comes to this market. I moved here 20 years ago, and about five years in, I was home in Montreal walking around going, I'm not from here anymore. I'm a Calcarian. And that was a cool transition, but that took, that took a few years, the moments when I first got here. And I had a lot of friends that moved here. And to hear you lay out the facts, third largest in Western Canada, third largest uh, you know, in, in Canada, 40 years ago when we had a, like arguably a tiny population in the context to build of this facility, yet there's always been this feeling and maybe... Oh, wow, we really lack culture. Oh, this is kind of a redneck place. Oh, it's kind of this. And it's not like Toronto. Or it's not like much. No, it's not. But it, 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 it's still like, I'm just curious, that gap. And when you were looking to come here, I'm assuming you're in New York, Lincoln Center for Performing Arts. Like, these, are some, these, are, these have some prowess, these facilities that you, that you worked with. But you chose to come to Calgary. So how did you at that point look in from the outside? And is it really just come down to who you talk to? Because you can talk to somebody who's for the arts, and then you think everybody is. Then you talk to another group that is. And I'm curious what your view from what was from the outside and then the ultimate decision to go, you know what, I think I can have an impact on the, on this thing. Cause there's got a little bit of angst in here somewhere, a little bit yeah. of, there's gotta be a rebel in here somewhere to make this move. 
Oh, well, how, how much time do you have? Um, so I think <laughs> as the, much the, time the as first, we need, sir, as much time as we yeah. need. Well, I think the first thing, and, and, and I think this is true even for yourself or anybody making the move from anywhere to anywhere, the first decision that needs to be made is, are we ready to leave New York? Mm. Like, let, let's, let's isolate the decision-making process. So the very first decision my wife and I had to make is, are we ready to leave New York? And, and one of the things that I did at Lincoln Center, um, I had, I had, a, I had a, a crazy portfolio of responsibilities that make little sense. But one of the things that I oversaw at Lincoln Center was international consulting. So okay. I had the incredible privilege of being able to travel the world with the Lincoln Center badge um, and, and consult on projects that allowed me to see the world and allowed me to see what arts and culture looks like around the world enough to know. I mean, anybody that wants to work in the arts maybe 20 years ago at least in the United States. I mean, although I'm from Argentina, so, you know, like that's okay, it's, it's, it's international too. So I remember growing up in Argentina, if I wanted to be in the arts, it, it either had to be New York, LA, um, right. maybe Chicago if you're in theater. And so there's this international gravitational pull that leads you into such a small number of cities. And what working at Lincoln Center allowed me to do is to, is to recognize that arts and culture lives in every corner of the world, in every pocket of the globe, and in many different ways. And the amount of times, and this is embarrassing to admit, but the amount of times I would travel to a city I'd never been to before and meet a client and just get a tour of their facility and say to myself, oh my God, this is, this is here? This <laughs> yeah, is, this yeah. is amazing. And so after seven years at Lincoln Center, I, I, I came to realize that if somebody wanted to to make a true impact in arts and culture, if somebody wanted to really sink their teeth in, I mean, yes, New York and LA and London will continue to be amazing and Toronto will continue to be amazing, but there are these other markets and other cities where sure. there's stuff that's happening and, and, and they don't have the level of saturation that a city like New York has. I mean, to live in New York and, and say that you are doing something unique that's never been done before, <laughs> you know, <it's>, yeah. <laughs> but, but to be able to go into a city and, 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 and I don't mean to undermine the, the amazing things that have come before me and before my move, but when, when I look at a city like Calgary and a place like Arts Commons, I think, first of all, there's so much, there's so much low-hanging fruit. There are so many things that we could change tomorrow, but also create the runway for just unprecedented change. I mean, I, you know, my goal, and, and we'll talk about this later, but my goal is really for us to, to be a landmark and for people around the world to look at us and say, man, look at that. That's the first performing arts center to be designed since COVID has forced us to reimagine everything. And I want the people to look at Calgary and say, man, look at, look at what they did. If they can do it there, we can do it anywhere. So the first real is, sorry, this is, I, I talk a lot and, um, which I guess makes for a good conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> if you didn't, this, so, would be a really, this would be a really lame podcast. I know, it would be very boring. <laughs> so the first, the first thing was to realize that we were okay with leaving New York, and it took a while, but we got there. The second part of the decision-making process was to say, okay, now where? And hmm. there's something about a performing arts center's business model, which is unique. Um, and, and I'm happy to talk more about that. But, and there aren't that many of them around the world. And arguably, there are not that many around North America. I think there are only 40, 45 uh, official performing arts. Okay, so to put it to put it into context, it's yes, you're right. This is this is one of a small of a small kind of unique group. Yeah, and you know, and 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 Hmm. we're not a theater company. We're not a dance company. We're not an orchestra. Which is not to say those are easy organizations to run. No, you're, the, you're, the pla- you're the platform that allows them all to part- to, to have a place to be, be themselves. Yeah, it's, a pla- uh, it's a platform play. <laughs> yeah, so I talk about it as like we are stewards of an ecosystem. Mm. 
And a performing arts center needs to have different business verticals. And some business, ver and if I'm doing my job right, some business verticals unapologetically need to work on a surplus so that I can take that surplus and reinvest it into the rest of the company because I have business verticals that depend on operating at a deficit, mostly supporting our resident companies and community groups. And mm -hmm. so, so, so that's, it's a very unique business model that not many uh, folks have had the privilege of working with. So when I was talking about leaving Lincoln Center, and not, mind you, Lincoln Center built in the, in the late 50s, early 60s, is, the, is essentially the, 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 the very first performing arts center to operate on that. So in many ways, Arts Commons is based off of Lincoln Center from okay. a business and governance perspective. Okay, that makes sense. So there were many things about Arts Commons that looked very familiar to me. Um, and I, 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 need to, I, I need to sort of give credit where credit's due. I fell in love with the culture of Arts Commons. Um, the you know the people that work here the value system it it i thought you know i thought somebody was trying to trick me into coming here and i was like you need to stop being so nice you thought you were, like, you, no, thought you were getting the, the oversell and the bait and switch <laughs> yeah and and i was like okay part of this is being canadian and canadians are arguably uh, kinder than than americans well maybe and um, new yorkers are your own like that's your own breed for sure 100 <laughs> percent yeah, but I'll say New Yorkers get a bad rap. I'll talk. We can talk about. And, and I love New York, so that, that wasn't a dig. Yeah, yeah. I like become New Yorkers. No, no, no. Are gonna, I'm gonna. Yeah, I have to watch myself now. <laughs> but I mean, and, and listen, I was moving here. I was moving here during a very uh, a politically tumultuous time in the U.S. Yes, so there was that's, that, that's so right. How soon? That. We, how soon we forget? <laughs> yeah. Well, some. Yeah. Um, but so there was there was this air of relief moving to Canada, and and I and I found that and it, you know and so I was born in Toronto, and so and I'd never really been to Calgary. And so I would ask folks in Toronto, I was like, hey, I'm considering this job. And they're like, oh, you don't want to go to Calgary. And, and, so, and, and, and I was like, why not? And, and they couldn't really answer. And, and so I, you know, I said, let, let me figure it out for myself. And my wife and I need to figure it out for ourselves. And we came out to Calgary a few times. And the kindness of the Calgarian is something that not many people know. I mean, there's a kindness to Canadians in general, although you could argue in the past few weeks that there's an underbelly. But we won't go down that rabbit Device, hole. It's um, been some d d divisive times recently, but yeah, that's a whole yeah. not, that's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole other <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm qualified to have either. <laughs> neither am I. I'm just here to talk about the arts. Um, but 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 there is a kindness to the Calgarian that that not many people know about, and we have been so blessed to find out. And um, and so part of it was falling in love with Arts Commons and falling in love with the opportunity that exists there. But the bigger part of it was falling in love with Calgary and 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 asking ourselves. Is this somewhere where we want to live? Is this a community where we feel like, because I don't want to be somebody that just travels for work and ends up living in Calgary Monday through Friday and then like gets on a plane and goes home, quote unquote. Um, and so, but we fell in love with Calgary hard. And this was pre, this was like, this was pre-pandemic. So the interview process was well, yeah, you, you were you were being you were courting Calgary and Calgary was courting you in 2019. <laughs> in 20 and end of 2019. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I will say so we fell in love with Calgary hard during the interview process and then ended up having to drive here in an RV um across you know across North America. That's an adventure and, unto itself but <laughs> again a, another which, another yeah. podcast I'm just pinning all another these extra podcast. conversations wise. I know we're going to have <laughs> we're going to take the show on the road. But even <laughs> during COVID we have fallen in love with Calgary hard and fallen in love with Calgarians and I I like to joke even though the joke is getting old very quickly that I spend 50% of my time convincing Calgarians how great their city is. Yeah. And I really appreciate and, that, that comment. Um so, anyways, I, I, you know, I, I also say that from a position of privilege, obviously, um, and, mm -hmm. and the Calgary I know and my Calgary experience is a privileged one, but I also see 
values like access, that, you know, like anybody can access nature in Calgary in ways that no other city I've ever been to can. And, hmm. um, and, you know, I know that the arts community is increasingly trying to increase equitable access to arts and culture opportunities. Um, I mean, look at the Glenbow uh, and their announcement last week. Yes. We have our own season of gratitude where we're giving away 10,000 free tickets. So there is this concerted effort of making Calgary great for everybody. Um, and that's what I love about it. And that's, if, 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 we, if we are heading in that direction, what I love about our future. It certainly feels like something that we are not taking for granted or we're not just, like you said, oh, my version of Calgary is awesome. Is everybody else's version awesome as well? And I think the yeah. pandemic has certainly shed a light on that. And I think, as to your point, recent events, the more we, the, the more we are divisive, the less we accomplish. So I, that's a whole other yeah. conversation. Um, so when you were brought in, curious, just thinking about it from a, putting my business hat on, and, and I love, were you brought in as a change agent? Were you brought in as the turnaround CEO? Like if we put it into traditional business terms, because I like what you said, this is a business that has verticals and some are profitable because they need to support that others that don't. And it's easy to forget that the arts is also, a, to be successful, needs a business model that supports it. And I'm curious, were you brought in with a carte blanche, we need to change this? Or no, we have a 40-year history. We know who we are. Yes, we want to change. I'm just really curious what that looked like from a from a transformation perspective. No, it would. Uh, so the other thing, so I said that I walked into an organizational culture that had strong values. And so I, it was almost like a dating exercise. Uh, that's, um, I think that's a very good example. <laughs> a very good metaphor. It was a very good example. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, it, it, but the other thing I, I should say also about Arts Commons is that I walked into a very healthy financial institution. Okay. Um, which is which is always a blessing. The the mandate, if I could call it that, the mandate or the lens through which I was brought in was to really be able to say, does Arts Commons, or ask the question, does Arts Commons belong to everybody? The the other part, the other, you know, I spoke about my time at Lincoln Center in international consulting. The other part of my portfolio was community engagement, arts education. All the all the all the aspects of an arts organization that connect it to the local communities that surround it. Okay. Um, and so, one of the biggest points of pride for me by the time I left Lincoln Center was that Lincoln. You know, if, if you can imagine like a, a map of the five boroughs in New York City, by the time I left seven years later, Lincoln Center could drop a pin in every one of the fifty-one council member districts of the five boroughs of New York City, because we had left the Upper West Side and we said. If Lincoln Center, which arguably is, is perceived as the most elitist, exclusive art center in the world, mm -hmm. in, in, in addition to being uh, incredible, um, but for Lincoln Center to say, if we are going to be for all New Yorkers, we can't just build it and assume they're going to come. We need to build relationships on their terms and on their turf. And then if, they, if that trust is built, hope that they will um, accept our invitation to, to come to us. And so... So really, it's that it's that question of how do we make an art center relevant, impactful, and accessible mm -hmm. that I think was the mandate that the board invited. So they were like, we have this amazing arts organization. It has an amazing history. Arts Commons is one of the few in the world, but not many Calgarians know about us. Mm -hmm. And okay. so what are the questions that we need to ask? What are the programs that we need to develop? What is the, the ethos that needs to be tweaked in order for Calgarians to care about us? And, and this... This then goes to the bigger transformation question, which is, 
you know, we've been sitting on this on this expansion project for ten years. I was going to ask uh, what Commons. that what that yeah. yeah the the you know the Arts Commons transformation project. What was the timeline, and was that something that was on a back burner, or did it? Okay, so that's been there for a long time. It's been there for a long time, and um, and and you know, and I do want to give credit where credit's due because the we are making these incredible advances in the past two years because of ten years worth of work and due diligence. It's the it's the it's um, the it's the overnight it's the twenty year overnight success story, or in this yeah, case, exactly, the ten year overnight. Exactly. Oh my god, I can't believe this happened. It's like, uh, do you have any idea well, what's no, been going on behind the scenes? Yeah, <laughs> and 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 people, you know, and, and people far before you know far before I, I arrived here, but. But I think what the board was concerned about, and rightly so, is if we build this thing, if we spend all these hundreds of millions of dollars on building this, will Calgarians care? Yes. And so to me, and you know, as you mentioned, the campaign title is called Arts Commons Transformation. And what I like to joke about is, you know, anybody can build a building. <laughs> Although I'm finding out that that's not as necessarily true as I make it out to be, but like anybody, anybody with the right amount of money can build a building, right? Yeah. Um, the question is, will that building be the manifestation of who Calgary wants us to be? Because if we spend the money on building a building that nobody cares about, then we will not have done our job. So the transformation that I talk about in terms of the Arts Commons transformation actually happens far before we break ground. The transformation. It, and, and, and COVID has been an incredible opportunity to lean into what we want that transformation to be like philosophically from a governance perspective, from a partnership perspective. And COVID was an amazing opportunity to do that so that by the time we're able to go into the design phase, which we're in right now, we're having such different levels of conversation um, that are part of the design. So like, what's our responsibility to reconciliation? What's our responsibility to the intersection of live arts and digital technology? We weren't having those conversations 10 years ago the way we're having now. And we're not having them in partnership with others the way we're having them now. So what I'm excited about is that the transformation that we have started has no bearing on whether or not we build a new building. Arts Commons will come out of the pandemic completely transformed and oh, by the way, we are given the incredible opportunity to both expand our footprint and modernize our current facility in a way that will reflect the transformation that we're currently on. And that transformation is Calgary's transformation. So that's the part of it that excites me is it's not just, a, it's not just an arts conversation. It's a city building conversation. It's an economic uh, impact conversation. It's a health and well-being conversation. And that is, that, that is to everybody's benefit. I like what you said, and it really resonated with me. The trap is thinking it's about a building. The, tra the trap yeah. is thinking that, oh, we're going to build this new thing, and oh, look at, wait for the magic to happen. But I'm, what I'm really hearing is the last two years have amplified the opportunity for that to be successful. To your point, yes, you throw enough money at it, you get enough smart people on the table, you can build a building. But to what end? To what for? To yeah. what purpose? And when a building represents a culture, uh, a DNA of a city, that's, an, that's a challenging intersection to go from even where we were three years ago where we thought we knew what was what to having everything yeah. you know changed. And a building doesn't get built overnight. So you've got it. Those two graphs have to intersect 24, 36, 60 months, 60 months from, from now. 
Yeah. Part of something that I wasn't aware of, but art expeditions going out into the community, was that something you brought in from your past experience? Speaking about the, you know, being to New York and how different and unique all those different boroughs or cultures are. And having not heard about it, I was like, how did I not? But I thought it was a really interesting opportunity because Calgary's got some sprawl and, you know, mm-hmm. even New York, if you're over on the other side of one bridge, it's, you might as well be in another, <laughs> another complete ecosystem. Yeah. So I'm assuming those were things that you kind of brought back and said, like, let's, let's go on some expeditions. I even like the name. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, and that's completely strategic, even though, even though, you know, somebody might look at it at, at face value and say, oh, that's just a pop-up concert. There is so much strategy that goes behind it. And, mm-hmm. you know, so for example, three things led to the development of arts expeditions. And by the way, arts expeditions is this pop-up concert series that happens every year. It started in 2020 where arts commons just serves as a convener. It serves as the platform. We are, we are hiring local musicians to perform in neighborhoods across the four quadrants. Um, and really, it, that program, which, by the way, let's, our, let, let's be clear, that's not rocket science. Like, <laughs> but someone like, still had to make it happen, though, Alex. I yeah, do appreciate still had that. To make it, yeah, but, absolutely. But, but, I, but there, there were three things that fed the strategy of that. The first one was, even in summer of 2020, we were getting phone calls from the artist community saying, listen, the gig economy is drying up, yeah. and if, which is true of anywhere, mind you, but... We were we were facing a mass exodus of the artist community in Calgary, um, which arguably a version of it has happened and and continues to happen in cities around the world. But the the concern for me and my team was, what happens if this pandemic ends and all of a sudden we have no artists left in Calgary? Then as an arts organization, who, who are we serving? <laughs> yeah. So so the 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 first the first question for us was. How do we nurture the the, the freelance artist uh, uh, workforce in Calgary mm-hmm. because they can't wait for this pandemic to be over? The second thing we were hearing, and this is from our audiences, even and, and this is what I love about Calgary, even in the summer of 2020, that early on, people were saying we're sick of consuming arts and culture online. I don't want to have to sit through I another. Want, I want to go to the park. <laughs> I want I want to see something in person, and particularly as summer was approaching, people just wanted to get out of their house. And I remember walking around, I mean, at this point, we're relatively new to Calgary, and every weekend we're taking a day trip somewhere else. And and as you said, Calgary has a a, a massive sprawl, but it also has amazing communities and amazing neighborhoods. And the amount of outdoor space that exists in Calgary, I mean, we have two dogs, and our dogs are arguably happier than we are in terms of in terms of the <laughs> they, um, they 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 didn't die they died and went to dog heaven kind of thing yeah yeah exactly but <laughs> but in every one of these parks you know my wife and I would walk around and be like why isn't there a musician why why like why isn't there a staged reading there and so and then the third one um, the third strategy and this is a little more uh, self centered to arts commons the organization is we as 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 far reaching um, as as we were and as, and as many relationships as we had with audience members across the, the four quadrants, because we can, you know, we have data on, you know, whenever you buy a ticket, we know where you're we coming know where from. from yeah. So like I could, I could, I could, I could give you a heat map of, of Calgary and tell you here are the, the areas or neighborhoods from which uh, people come to uh, arts commons from. And, and the first question for me became, well, okay, well what happens from in the neighborhoods where we don't have relationships? Um, and I think the, the, the misconception is that those are cultural deserts, as one might call them. And, and oftentimes, when you look, when you, when, you, when you dig a little deeper, it's the exact opposite. These neighborhoods actually have an incredible sense of cultural identity. They just don't see themselves reflected in what we're offering. So, so the question then became, okay, how do we take these three things and put it together in a way where arts commons can, can 
gracefully and humbly go into these communities, serve as a catalyst for community building and performance, serve as a catalyst for some economic activity for artists that live within that neighborhood, and say on a weekend, could we find an artist within that neighborhood that, that reflects the cultural identity of that community, put them on a stage, even if it's outdoors, put them under the Arts Commons banner, which means something, and there's a privilege to that, and I, I want to make sure we're leveraging that privilege in the right direction, and building relationships with artists and audiences, as I said, on their terms and on their turf, so that we could, and it's not to say that Arts Commons is going to take over the world. Ultimately, I want everybody to come to downtown Calgary. Ultimately, I recognize that the ultimate Arts Commons experience will be within our building, will be within our facility. But I also recognize that not everybody's going to come to that building just because you give them a discount or just because you make it easy for them to get there. There needs to be this, I talk about three barriers to cultural participation the financial, the geographic, and the perceived. The perceived is the most important one. And that sense that, like, I don't belong there or that doesn't belong to me. So Arts Expeditions, again, at face value, just a harmless pop-up concert series, but it's actually meant to build relationships with Calgarians so that we can then return the favor and say, hey, listen, you welcomed us so graciously into your home. We want to do the same. And then the burden is on us to say, okay, you got them here once don't mess it up, get them here again. So then how are we also changing? What are we learning from having a presence in these communities? Because then we can't just operate business as usual because sure, they might come back once, but then I want them to keep on coming back. So the proof's in the pudding, and we need to, we need to demonstrate to Calgarians that we have learned something from being in their backyard, and that's changing who we are. And, and the last thing I'll say about that is, you know, again, I, I don't run a theater company, I don't run an orchestra, I don't run a dance company. And the inventory behind that is different. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I run a theater company, maybe I have a five or six show season. There's only so much I can do for people when I have an inventory of five shows or six shows. When Arts Commons is firing on all cylinders, we have the ability to host 2,000 events per year. Now, historically, we've not been very organized. And, and, and it's not all Arts Commons, right? So it's the resident companies, it's the Calgary Phil, it's Theatre Calgary, it's ATP. Yeah, you, it's you, you are the platform, area. you are the steward of the ecosystem, yeah. you said. I like that one. But, yeah. but, if, we, but, if, but, if, but if steward of the, as steward of the ecosystem, if I can at least allow for a conversation to happen between all the players within the building to say, okay, when we fire on all cylinders together, we have the ability to host 2,000 events per year. Can we be smarter about it? So that these 2,000 events per year are not just trying to compete for the same 50,000 Calgarians, because when you have that level of inventory, when the pie is that big, if you're, if you're more strategic about it, you can literally be more things to more people without compromising. And that's what's exciting to me. We can have so many different entry points into the ecosystem that is Arts Commons and then cross-pollinate audiences. Which is... So, yeah, yeah so no, anyway, I'm, so that's, I'm thinking that's, about that's that. expedition that, story. That, the the underpinning um i appreciate that was a I've, you wrapped that up nice at the end and put art expeditions back at the end of the, <laughs> the story but the opportunity for inclusion growing up in cities like montreal and spending a lot of time in toronto you've got such microcosms of culture you've got communities where mm -hmm. they have all their own cultural events because that's where that culture tends to take place and live in montreal especially and so toronto anywhere calgary that's emerging and it's shifting and people feeling like that well that they don't represent me and when i was reading your announcement on february 9th even in the partnership around how you 
you put together your team for developing in the architecture around the space, reading so much about, well, this is an, a project about inclusion and making people mm -hmm. feel welcome. And like you've said, walk around the building versus come in and walk through the building. So I'm, what's really painting a picture for me is how much intention, and like you said, you're already building the movement. The building will almost be the output of it, not the, not the, not the input. So mm -hmm. when, you know, from yourself, as you kind of, you know, move this through this process, talk, maybe talk a little bit about this design process, because, you know, anybody can build a building, but yet it's no easy task at the same time. Even the thinking that when you guys put this group and this team together around, you know, diversity and inclusion and, you know, in, Indigenous and how we're taking that into consideration, it feels like you made the project bigger, which I know for a good reason, but how much more layers did that add to this output, which is ultimately, oh, it's just a building to get that right of bringing this many voices to the table. Like that's, that's, that's got to add to the process with the payoff being this, this, this facility that facilitates what you talked about. Yeah. Well, oh, that's a great question. And, and listen, I've never done this before. So like I'm, which, which, which is a blessing. I appreciate curse, the, right? the, the asterisk of humility. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think, and I, but, but I think that's a blessing and a curse, right? So like, I've never, uh, you know, <clears throat> you don't know what's not possible. <laughs> I don't know what's not possible. Yeah, and you're not hamstrung actually, by limit that those limitations. <laughs> actually, I take it back. I do know what's possible. And the public library is what's possible. Oh, great example. And, yes. A very, and, a very close, a close say, neighbor, just to hop in a skip down. A the very street close neighbor. Yeah. Um, and and with incredible example. leadership and incredible vision. And I will say when we were, when we came out here for the interviews towards the end of 2019, um, we fell in love with, you know, as I mentioned, we fell in love with Calgary. Calgary has an amazing food and bar scene. It has an amazing sports and nature. But I remember we were here for a weekend, just two or three days, and my wife and I went to the downtown library three times. Hmm. And, and I remember spending time there knowing that, knowing that this position was possible but also knowing that this massive expansion project was looming on the background. And I remember saying to my wife, and it wasn't just the architecture of the building. When, when people say that Calgary is the third most diverse city in Canada, there are not many places that you can go to in Calgary and actually experience it uh, in a single location. That, that's, a, that's a very good point. Mm -hmm. and, and I will say very honestly, um, you know, I, when I was coming out to Calgary, I took in as many shows at Arts Commons as possible in the resident companies and and I would, you know, I would actually look at the audience. I was sort of a creep a little bit because I was looking more at the audience as I was at what was happening on stage. Um, and and I was the only guy sitting backwards in the front row. Yeah, exactly. I was like, <laughs> like, I was like, excuse me, sir, the show's in the other direction. Um, but I, you know, after the show, I would sit in the lobby and I would people watch, and I was like, who are the, you know, what, what's what's the Calgary that comes out to see shows? And I would turn to my wife and say, I thought Calgary was the third most diverse city in Canada. Like, yeah, where where is that? And and, you know, I also heard about sprawl and maybe it's, you know, like the people, people talk about New York as being the melting pot. And I was like, no, not really. I mean, you have incredible diversity, but it's somewhat segregated it, geographically yeah, within the, and so it took me going to the library to realize that you can build something for everybody. Hmm. And so I, and in fact, you know, the, not only is this library world-class for the past 10 years, even at Lincoln Center, when people ask me about what the future of the arts look like, I would say, I'm not really sure, but I know that it has something to do with how libraries have evolved because libraries have had to evolve their personality and their, their philosophy because people aren't checking out books anymore. Libraries have gone from being a place where you a transactional um, to a place where community is built, where you go because you need something. Um, so when I talk about things like access, relevance and impact, the library community around the world has had to completely reinvent itself over the past 30 years. And when I think about arts and culture, and you asked me about our new project, 
I want people to be able to go to Arts Commons whether or not they bought a ticket to something. I want you to have a, I want you to have a cultural experience whether or not you spent money, regardless of how much money it was. It could have been $100, it could have been $25, but we should not just be a destination for a transaction, and we absolutely should not be a place where the arts have become a luxury good that are over-consumed by too few people. So that goes, so, so, so there, there, there are a lot of things that are ambitious about our project, but I also know they're possible because I've seen it happen in the library. Now, you talk about the design team, and I don't know that everybody listening knows um, who they are, so uh, I, I can speak a little Please, bit to yeah, that. Sure. But I think it's quite interesting, and it's very reflective of kind of the tone that we're being set here. And you go, oh, yeah. there's a great example of a design team that was put together to meet a very specific kind of this diversity inclusion objective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and also, by the way, just amazing designers. Like one could say, like, <laughs> yes. oh, I'm I'm checking boxes, but no, like these folks. No, are you're right. When I read through it, it's like there's some that's some heavy hitters you have at that table. <laughs> yeah. So so just to take a step back, the project itself is is uh, is I, what I call an expansion and modernization campaign. And the reason I, I do those two things is because we are expanding our footprint. Um, for those of you familiar with downtown Calgary, you'll know that. Uh, next to Olympic Plaza, there's a restaurant called Teatro, which is a fantastic restaurant. Um, uh, there's a plot of land, which is seemingly part of Olympic Plaza, but isn't. It's called Lot 52 that wraps around Teatro. Our first step in the process mm -hmm. is to okay. expand our footprint and build a new facility there that connects to our, connects to our current facility. And um, that will be home to a 1,000-seat theater, and it will be home to a 200-seat black box. But more importantly, it will be home to a crazy amount of public space. Um, one of my biggest bring, frustrations bring the, now Bring the is, public in. <laughs> Allow bring the public to, in. Yeah. And one of my biggest frustrations now is that you have, and, I, I, and this, this is true, I absolutely love the venues that exist within the Arts Commons complex. Not only, not only is there a diversity of venue size, they each have their own personality. The Jack Singer is a, is a very unique, the Martha Cohen, the Max mm -hmm. Bell, uh, the Engineered Air Theater, the Big Secret. Like, no other performing arts center I've been to has the diversity of venue sizes or the diversity of venue personality the way that Arts Commons does. Each one of them stands um, as their own personality. And after being there for different yeah. shows, you, oh, it's going to be that experience because I'm going to that facility. They very much yeah. have their own identities. Yeah, they do. Mm -hmm. But there's no connective tissue between them. That's the gap. <laughs> That's the gap. Yeah. So, so there's nothing left, both physically and philosophically, to be called Arts Commons. Because everything is just siloed, both philosophically and physically, from a, from a design perspective. And the joke that I always say is, if you and I were in New York City and I said, hey, meet me at Lincoln Center, you and I would both assume it's by the fountain. Whereas if I told you, hey, meet me at Arts Commons, we're going to walk around for two hours and never find each other. So, <laughs> so what is that gravitational? What are we designing around? And, okay. and the answer to that question, even though I don't have one, needs to be public access, needs to be a public area. So the first phase is an expansion across the street, which will add to the diversity of venue size, will add to the diversity of venue personality. Um, and then once that building is complete, we will turn our attention to our current facility. We will leave... The, um, the, the blueprints of where the four main theaters are. So the, th the theaters themselves will not lose their personality. The Jack Singer will continue to be one of the best acoustical halls in North America. Mm. We will give them some love in terms of life cycle. Yep. But really we're focusing on what is the public experience so that you and I can go see a show on a Friday night in different theaters by different companies. And then because of how traffic flows through the building, you and I will bump into each other and we can have a drink 
in the lobby. Okay, that's interesting. So, so, so this so is that, kind of a House so, of Brands branded house conversation where you've got all yeah. these individual standalones, which you're right, it's easy to disassociate them from the master brand, if you will. But it's because yeah. you're not, like by banging the people together, that's the positive outcome of reassociation. It's not that, you, oh, we want everyone to say Arts Commons. No, we want them to have an Arts Commons experience that is more common. Sorry, that was not Correct. intended to work no, out No, but that, that that's absolutely right. I mean, <laughs> we, I mean, and, and, this is, and this is the dilemma every major performing arts center is facing. Like in New York, when we were doing brand comparisons, we weren't looking at other arts organizations. We were looking at, at Bloomingdale's. Right. Other, other experiences. Like, yeah, and, and, yeah. And experiences where brands need to coexist. Mm -hmm. So within Bloomingdale's, you might have one floor that's a certain brand, mm -hmm. but you're still going to Bloomingdale's. So anyways, I'm going on a tangent. Um, so these are the things that w I've been talking about. The other thing is that's fascinating to me is we have the diversity of venue size, and yet... Nobody other than the high-performance rodeo has benefited from them, from that diversity. Hmm, okay. And what I mean by that is, and this is purely a business perspective, I would never tell any resident company what to program, A, because it's not the right thing to do. Also, it's not my responsibility. But, but I do know, as COVID makes the economic engine of arts producing and presenting more challenging, I would turn to, you know, like Stafford Arima, who's the artistic director of Theatre Calgary and a friend of mine, I would say to him, Stafford, why would you be expected to program a Christmas carol, which needs to be a blockbuster revenue-generating show, in the same 700-seat venue in which, you in which you would like to do an experimental two-person show? That makes no sense. Um, and by the same token, you have you know, Alberta Theatre Projects, whose home is the Martha Cohen, and say, hey, if you're sitting on a blockbuster show, why wouldn't you want to level up? So... If we have the diversity of venue sizes, why can't we introduce the concept of, ven of fluidity of venue usage so that arts organizations have the ability to level up and level down depending on their artistic ambitions? Um, not everybody has the luxury of being able to do that, but we can offer it. So, so there are lots of different things about wanting to blow up how we currently uh, work. The other part of it is all of our amenities revolve around our venues. So if we have four major halls, it means that we have four bars. Now imagine, what would it look like if we had four major venues and two bars? With, I mean, obviously with, the, with, with, enough, with enough square footage to serve everybody. Of We're course, not talking yeah. about cramming. But all of a sudden, you have audiences mingling. Well, all it's, of a sudden, it's the old Pixar story we've all read a million times. Put the bathroom in the center and make everyone run into each other. It's, yeah. Not to overuse yeah. that story, but it's the greatest example it's of true. like, yeah, we did it because it's exactly what wanted to happen and the bathroom was the surefire way to do it. <laughs> yeah, and, and not only is it the right thing to do from a human perspective yeah. and from the human experience, it's all, now we're talking about economies of scale. Now we're talking about shared services. Now we're talking about organizations not having such a heavy administrative burden. So there's so many reasons why we want to bring everybody together. So, uh, and so it's not just, it's not just bringing community into the, into the building in new ways. And I talk a lot about porosity. I talk a lot about, you know, if we're going to expect people to come to us, we need to go to them, whether that's the Northeast or whether that's Olympic Plaza. Um, and so all that to say, the team that we have selected to do this is, I think, incredibly reflective of the conversations we have started and want to continue having. It's a four-person team, and, and by four-person, I really mean four-agency team. Four respective firms, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we have four firms that are bringing their, their horsepower and talent. The, the design is being led by KPMB out of Toronto. They have an amazing uh, portfolio of so many different types of buildings, but they have an incredible portfolio of arts and culture 
The firm is being led by Marianne McKenna, um, who's a powerhouse in her own right and one of the most brilliant architects I've certainly ever been with. But it's also really unique to find um, a female-led architecture firm. Mm -hmm. It seems to be a male-dominated industry. It certainly certainly traditionally has, it would be an easy one to think about that way. Mm -hmm. And 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 I and I think the, the energy that Marianne brings and the insight and perspective is just spot on. Um, Marianne and KPMB are partnering with Hindle Architects. Hindle is a local firm. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse and his wife lead it here in Calgary. And the reason, a, and they're brilliant, right, in in their own right, and they've done some amazing work here. But they've lived around the world, and they came back home to Calgary. Uh, I, love, so I, love, I, love, I, like, I like those stories as well. Yeah, when, yeah. When people and, come back. We've we, left. We left the village. We gathered knowledge, and we've brought it home. I love that. I love home. that storyline. For back to all the reasons why Calgary is this sometimes best kept yeah. secret. <laughs> best kept secret. And and Jesse will say to me, he was like, "Listen, this is. I'm not a flyby architect. Like I'm building something for my kids and grandkids. I'm building something for right? in so, my backyard. Yeah, absolutely. Which I appreciate yeah, so like that. I, so, he, so he was like, I have a vested interest. So, so Jesse's number two. Hindle Architects is number two. Number three is is Tawa, um, led by Wanda Della Costa. Now, Wanda, interestingly, she so she's based in Phoenix right now, but she's from Calgary and she spent 12 years of her career in Calgary. Wanda, in addition to being a professor at uh, Arizona State um, and running her own architecture collective is the first indigenous woman to have ever received an architecture degree in Canada, to be registered as an architect in Canada. And so she looks at, you know, what is what does it look like for the design process to revolve around an indigenous lens? How do we bring indigenous ways of knowing and learning into the design phase? Um, and I mean, having her as part of that team has just blown. I mean, it certainly blows my mind every time, but I'm the watching. Par- the paradigm shift must be constantly like, whoa, okay, there's a whole nother, I got to put on my other set of glasses to yeah. look at the different perspective. And Yeah, uh, but it's even for even even for other architects, I mean, even for the other members of the team mm-hmm. that may not have worked with Wanda before, like I'm watching these light bulbs go off and saying like, oh, this is, this is I mean, you know, what, I, I don't want to give too much away, but like the, you know, one of our buildings our, so our current performing arts center, part of part of it is embedded into the public building, you know, which used to be an old post office. And it's a beautiful heritage building, but it's reflective of our colonial past. Right. Yeah. And so the question becomes and, and, and I could literally be a fly on the wall for this for hours. How do we put and, and we don't want to get rid of it. We don't want to. But how do we put that part of our history in conversation with another part of our history. How do you so how is that all the perspectives from this, from the, yeah. the state, like when you've got the stakeholders at the table, you can at least start having that conversation in, yeah. in real time. And we don't want to, we don't want to deny or negate part of our history, but how do we put it in conversation with other? And then the fourth agency is SLA out of Denmark. And they are an urban and they are an urban and landscape design firm. And while every project always has those folks coming to the table, few projects and few project teams have them as one of the core design members. And at, the reason at, at, SLA, at, the st- at the start of the journey, not, not brought it, yeah. in once a whole bunch of decisions have already been made. Yeah, because normally that's like the last designer to come in and yeah. they're like, oh, here's some landscape, make it look pretty. But we want to understand our relationship to climate. We want to understand our relationship to nature. Um, you know, the, the integration, and, and they do such amazing work uh, over in Europe. Um, and the, the case study that I always give, if, you, if you've ever been to the Oslo Opera House, where literally the garden, the, the, the park right outside the Oslo Opera House becomes the roof of the Oslo Opera House. And so they're integrating nature. 
uh, and city in a way that nobody else is. And I think that's exciting for us because we are adjacent to Olympic Plaza. And, and, and we, are, we are hopeful, and I know that the city's been talking about it, and we're hopeful that the city will want to breathe new life into Olympic Plaza in, in concert with our design so that, by, you know, 10 years from now we're waking up and we have an amazing new arts facility, but we also have a reimagined outdoor venue that can literally be, so maybe 10 years from now when I say, hey, meet me at Arts Commons, we're meeting at Olympic Plaza. Right. Mm. Curious is what what is the timeline in your mind for this because you know it's a ten year project that obviously sounds like it's really got got some life into it right now and we're going to thank COVID because we're going to choose to be grateful for the things that came yeah. out of COVID because <laughs> what else can you do with these days but what what's the timeline if we we're going to run this out a little bit and not holding you accountable because I know construction timelines and and you know are, are a real thing yeah anything could change but we need to be we need to ground ourselves in some sense of urgency and so um, the timeline we have now is. We, uh, we have started the, uh, the design phase, so the team is, has hit the ground running. Our hope is that within the next 12 months, we can unveil a design for okay. everything. Okay, fantastic. Um, and then 2023 is when we start pre-construction and breaking ground by early 24. So this, the, the hope is that by 2027, we have a new building across the street, at which okay. point we can turn our attention to renovating our current facility. So that's why I'm calling it a 10-year. Again, anything could happen. The of other course. good news, the other good news is that we're looking at, you know, this is a $450 million construction project. It is it is the largest cultural infrastructure project in recent Canadian history. In Calgary. So like I'm trying so like I'm tr I'm trying to imagine myself if I were a Calgarian in 1985 and somebody said, we're building one of the largest performing arts centers in North America. That sense of like, and Calgary does have it, like that Calgarian pride is real. Mm -hmm. And so how are, we, how are we renewing that excitement 40, 45 years later? So to me, this idea that we are Calgary of all cities, not, not Toronto, not Montreal, not Vancouver, not Ottawa, mm -hmm. we are embarking on the single largest cultural infrastructure project in recent Canadian history. And this is, this is what boggles the mind. Once we are done, we will have more square footage than the Louvre Museum in Paris. Oh, that's, that's an interesting context. Right? <laughs> and like, you don't have to be an arts lover to know the impact that has on a city. Yeah, I was just, my wife and I were doing some photo cleansing <laughs> the other day and we were going through our Europe trip from 2012 and one of our, the, anyways, that's hilarious. I was literally looking at photos of that this morning. We were at the Musée d'Orsay, we we're at the Louvre, we kind of did, we yeah. did the rounds, right? And it's so funny yeah. you put that into context. That's a staggering number for me. Like that has weight <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it has weight. And and the other part of it, that, which I which I also feel the need to, and by the way, my wife and I were doing that last night too. Uh, and we were It's a real photo. Uh, Photo uh, management is a real is a real thing. <laughs> yeah, that's also how we travel these days. Uh, yeah, it's true. Really yeah, there was a lot of good memories sitting at the island, cl yeah. clicking through. Do I really need to do? Do I need to keep the seventeenth version of the same yeah. photo, or can I delete it? <laughs> but now, so but I've had people say to me when I when I share that 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 little soundbite with them, I've had people share to me share with me, oh, you you don't want to say that. That's too big for Calgary. And what? Oh so wow! I, I have the complete opposite yeah, yeah. feeling. So, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you would want to you would want to sort of spark that sense of pride. But the other, yeah. so the reason I, I bring that up is because I also want to be clear: we're not building this just because we want to. We are building this because, for all the reasons I mentioned earlier, we've been at capacity for a very, very long time. Okay. Even pre-COVID, we were turning down six hundred uh, event requests per year. So we've been bursting at the seams for a while. So the business case for why we need to expand is there. 
The other thing I also want to make clear for people that um, that feel like this is a you know it's a luxury that you know should not be a public investment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's so funny to me because I I come from the U.S. where the arts are overly dependent on the private sector, okay. and I come to Canada where the arts are predominantly dependent on the public sector. And mm-hmm. as grateful as I am. I don't think any of the two extremes is necessarily healthy. Right. And so extremes, extremes, extremes rarely are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And Mm -hmm. so one of the goals for me coming out of this is to say, we are growing our footprint because we know Calgary wants it. And because we know the demand is there, but I don't want our physical growth to result in, um, uh, a proportionate dependence on public funding. So, so I mentioned that we're talking, you know, we're talking about expanding our, our square footage. We're also talking about not necessarily expanding our current business model. So I mentioned earlier that because we're the stewards of this ecosystem, a lot of the business verticals need to operate at a deficit. In my mind today, for my comfort level, too many of those business, uh, too many of those verticals are depend are are, are depending on a, on a deficit. So we're not necessarily looking at bringing in two new resident companies. We're not necessarily looking at expanding our current model, but we're looking at saying, where can we generate revenue in a way that makes sense and in a way that doesn't put the onus on Calgarians? So does that mean that we have, you know, larger commercial presentations? Does that mean that we, so like we've done the math and part of what we did last year is we actually worked with a a, a consultant to do the business study. And depending on how we utilize the new square footage, we're potentially looking at anywhere between two and a half and three million dollars of a surplus that can then be reinvested back into arts commons. So I, I, I think it's important to say this, that a growing arts ecosystem does not necessarily depend on a growing uh, uh, dependency on taxpayer public funding model and i think that would often yeah. be the argument of like ah oh, shouldn't we spend be shouldn't uh, be careful with the shoulds shouldn't we be spending this money somewhere yeah. else is this the best use of the money how much yeah. is that a like a comfortable or uncomfortable or awkward or common conversation in the art space to put that business hat on because it's easy no, to stereotype that there's arts on one side and there's business on the other and the two will always disagree or conflict what i'm hearing is a very blended approach and and i'm also hearing you say like hey calgarians don't worry, we're thinking about this in a way that it's going to be self-sufficient. This is not just creating a bigger tax burden on, on you, which I think that's probably no. a really key soundbite to get out pretty quick in the, in the pitch deck. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I would always rather, I would always rather public funding invest in infrastructure um, because that's a one-time spend. Yeah, and then you get to right? use, it, and, use it for the next 40 or 50 years. Yeah, yeah and, and the question, you know, anytime somebody says, oh, we shouldn't invest in the arts, my, my, first, my first response is, don't look at it as, uh, you know, you're not hemorrhaging money. Look at it as an investment. Ask me, the, like, ask me point blank, what's the return on investment? Mm-hmm. I can tell you that during construction alone, we're going to be creating almost 4,000 jobs. Hmm. I can tell you that the GDP in Alberta will grow by, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, like, I could give you the numbers, but the other thing that's... So, I think that's, 50, that's 50, one, 53 million and 683 jobs. I did make some notes as I was going through yeah. doing some prep for this. And that's, right. I was curious. I'm really glad you brought it around to that because it's easy to get lost in, and I, I'm being cautious saying this, the arts conversation where it's like, no, no, this mm-hmm. is a bigger conversation that you've got to have both both sides of your thought process fully engaged to make this actually sustainable for the long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and hmm. the other thing is, one of, one of the things I love is... Um, 
and I don't think Calgary is being loud enough about this, but Calgary is one of the only cities that I've known of in the past year, year and a half, that has actually come out with a downtown strategy for revitalization. Right. Which is, this is a key part of that. Not to, you're not doing this on an island, which I think is also critical Mm -hmm. part of the story. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I think. And so when, when city council voted on that $200 million package to jumpstart the revitalization of downtown, that alone should have been a story that other cities picked up on. But what I find even more exciting is that the single largest line item on that $200 million package was $80 million for cultural infrastructure and, and investment in arts commons. That to me, I don't know why we're not chatting that from the rooftops because arts and culture is, and, and, I, and, and now this is where I go down my rabbit hole, which is we know for a fact that for every $1 people spend on arts and culture, they spend an additional $4 on what I call ancillary expenses. Dinner, parking, babysitting, um, you know, hotel stays. And so when, when, when we talk about arts and culture being sort of a gravitational pull for people to come back downtown, because we know that, you know, COVID has completely disrupted the, the, the workforce. And I don't know that downtowns will ever be that sort of business heavy as they used to be. So now we're looking at, you know, work residential mixes. And arts and culture play a huge part in attracting those folks, whether it's you staying downtown after work or whether it's you bringing your family in for the weekend or so the economic impact that results of, of consumption of arts and culture has an immediate impact on a 10-block radius of where that's happening. And the other thing I'll say is the economic impact is greater when, that, when the cultural experience people are consuming is free, family, and outdoors. So that's why, you know, like, we, well, we, we, last summer we had, uh, we did a show called uh, Showtime in Olympic Plaza. And we, we are committed to doing shows in Olympic Plaza for free every summer. And part of what I want to get through to, to the downtown community and the business community is the economic impact within a 10 block radius of people walking up to that show or bringing their kids to that show is, makes a difference. Um, and so, and so I, I, I welcome the opportunity to talk about economic impact and talk about the economics of this because it's such an easy point. It's such an easy argument to disprove that assumption that the arts are hemorrhaging money. It's, it's, yeah, it's an easy misthought to have, but it's also easy to actually go, well, actually here, let me lay it out for you, which I, which I appreciate that. And you hear those stories and you're like stumbling into those events, like the things that happen. I always think about, you know, you, I hear clearly you love to travel. I, I love to travel. I'm looking forward to traveling again, but nothing like being in a city somewhere and stumbling into an accidental event like that. Yeah. It's the best feeling. Yeah. Right? But yet sometimes we're hesitant to, to, to put in a little bit of few steps it takes to stumble into those events in our own cities. Yeah. You know, when you pretend you're a tourist every once in a while, you can have those magical experiences, you know, walking through the plaza in Rome and there's a daughter and a mom playing violin. You're just like, this is the most amazing thing. Yeah. And people are gathering around. That does happen here, but we seem to pride it more when we stumble on it in some foreign land. <laughs> yeah, and, and I agree. And you know, the the anecdote that I always give to you know to businesses, particularly that are surrounding a a, a performing arts center, and I would do this in New York. Um, everybody was eager to it. You know, businesses would would be more eager to attach themselves to like the Nutcracker or these like big ticket items. And and again, higher profile. I'm about to generalize, which I don't like doing, but anecdotally. We know that somebody spending $400 a ticket on the Nutcracker is probably driving up to the theater, getting out of the car, going straight into the venue, 
and that car is probably waiting for them after the show's over. <clears throat> so the economic ripple effect within a 10-block radius of what would seem like a very high-cost ticket is nowhere near the economic impact of somebody riding the subway or walking and stumbling across something um, when it's free, outdoor, and family-oriented. So... So it's interesting. It's such a great example of the really understanding who your ideal, like who that ideal customer actually is yeah. and misunder and mistaking a high ticket number for a certain set of behaviors that actually might not exist. Yeah. And that's a very, it's so easy to make those kind of errors. Oh, this, if this is true, then all these other things might also be true. Well, actually, no, it's not like that. Yeah. And we need, and so, we need, I, I, I appreciate the generalization, but it gets you thinking. And we need, and we need all of them. Right. And we need, we need everybody. Yeah. And yeah. the reason why, uh, the reason why a place like arts commons is unique is because again, going back to that, when we have an inventory of 2,000 events per year, we should, and if we're being smart about it, we should have enough for everybody and, and not silo or, or, or feel like anybody doesn't belong. There's, you know, the, there's, a, there's a phrase that I love to use, which is um, um, cultural promiscuity. And and mm -hmm. arts organizations a title for a title for your next yeah, book exactly. perhaps Mike I think it's good it'll get my attention yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 you know arts organizations love to talk about patrons as if they're theirs and what we don't often realize is that mm. if I'm a, if I'm an arts consumer I'm going to everything and yeah. behind the scenes we're all fighting and I'm like oh Alex belongs to me or Alex belongs and like no Alex doesn't care Alex <laughs> wants what he wants Alex is looking for experiences yeah. <laughs> and so why can't we as a community organize ourselves to cater to this notion of cultural promiscuity and and a place like arts commons is uniquely built so that i could say listen you get to go to the theater company you get to go to the orchestra you get to go to high performance rodeo all within one destination so why aren't we talking about shared ticketing why aren't we talking about shared promotions um because the world well, such an example i go i go on your website this morning yeah. and i see Le the led zeppelin event and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I scroll over. I'm like, oh, well, look at this other interesting event. Like, it's an abundance mindset versus a scarcity yeah. mindset. But if I didn't go to your site at all, I wouldn't see any of your events. Yeah. So, you know, it's so obvious to your point about how do we create a sense of abundance yeah. and that consumer being more like, well, what are we going to see this weekend versus, oh, I'm waiting for that one show a year that I go yeah. to see. I go see the Nutcracker and, and that's my thing. Versus you want somebody who's literally every weekend checking the roster and seeing what you guys got coming down the pipe and wants to be surprised, curious. They'll go to the, per the yeah. show where there's 30 people in the audience. I've been to those and wow, it feels like you're having a show in your living room. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very different thing. And then <laughs> if you went to go see a musical at Theater Calgary, you should be getting an email from us saying, hey, if you like that, go check out the Bernadette. People that went to this show also enjoyed these yeah. other shows. And, yeah. and we can cross pollinate. Yeah. So like, if you like this musical at Theater Calgary, go check out the Bernadette Peters concert at the Calgary Phil coming up. It's like, there's, it's like, I mean, it's, it's, you know, Netflix is kicking ass at it and we're not. It's how we consume almost everything else yeah. in our lives from, and I won't, we can name names, Netflix, Amazon, pick yeah. the thing, their platform, their platform plays that make it really easy to give me, you know, again, my buddy, my business partner always says, since the invention of this device that I'm holding up right here, we want it personalized. Yeah. This is about me, for me, designed for me. But when you've got 2000 pieces of inventory, you can do that a lot better. Yeah. I really like the platform mindset of what you guys are creating with each individual company or artist or someone coming in to test a new, you know, experimental show show and you guys providing the venue and the and the venues for that that's just I, i've never thought about arts commons that way but the name even says that but sorry it seems so literal now that i'm actually yeah. saying it out loud that's why i do these shows so i can go <laughs> oh. yeah that seems obvious tyler but yeah you've just grasped it just now <laughs> but but so here but here's so let me let me let me throw another uh, curveball at you because not only are we the stewards of this ecosystem and need to make sure that we're supporting all the key players 
We're also programmers within the building, right? So there's there's Arts Commons, the building, and the, and there's I, I I hate the word landlord, and people are not allowed to use it in my presence. Um, it's not a it's not usually a beloved word. No, and it also I think cheapens the relationship, and and it, it's a little more complex and 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 uh, nuanced than that. But we also have a programming arm because. And, and this is what not many people understand about a performing arts center. Most, most organizations have maybe an eight, nine-month season, right? The average orchestra, theater company, dance company, they tend to operate between September, October, and May, June. Okay. Which means that, and, and not consistently, mind you, they have shows, you know, they, have, they might close a show and have a month between. So we have... If you think about these as revenue generating assets, these venues and these spaces that we have, the first priority is always given to resident companies. So Calgary Phil, let me know when you want the jack and, and you plan your season around it. Now, when they hand over a calendar, there are months that are empty. There, there might be week, like weeks or weekends that are empty. We developed our, we, we flex our own programming muscles to fill what I call a calendar void and a content void. So, you know, it's our responsibility to make sure that as many people are coming as possible. So when the Calgary Phil is not performing, we put a lot of concerts into the Jack Singer Concert Hall. We are either, we are either presenting our own concerts, we are renting out to Live Nation concerts, we are, welcoming, we are welcoming other community partners into the building. So that's how we create that content mix, that revenue mix, um, that allows us to, uh, at the very least, operate and, and break even. Um, the reason I'm saying that is because sometimes people confuse Arts Commons, the ecosystem, with Arts Commons, the, the, the programmer. And I, I, I throw it out there because we unapologetically do program, but because we're not a theater company, because we're not a dance company, because we're not an orchestra, we program in a way that fills the void so that at the end of the day, you can say, I went to go see, you know, um, I went to go see, you know, Jazz at Lincoln Center. And, and that, you know, so... We, we try to, that's our way of looking at that 2000 inventory and diversifying it as much as humanly possible. And I really, like you said, the economic side of it is we have these amazing spaces that we need to, we need to put them to work. We need yeah. to fill them up. And we also need to give Calgarians or, or, or your patrons the ability to go, well, I know there's something going on this weekend. I just need to go find out what it is yeah. and if I want to go. And it's nothing worse than like you go look for something. And it's like we joke in the show. If you don't think there's anything going on in Calgary, it's because you're not paying you're not attention. Paying attention yeah. So I could put the same thing. If you don't think there's anything going on at Arts Commons, it's because you didn't bother to go check it yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. And the, other, and the other thing that we want to completely... Uh, uh, reinvent the you know the the, the 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 common misconception is that a performing arts center only operates from like 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. right mm. unlike a museum where you you know you have that asset um, you know closer to a full business day now if you thought about that asset if I were you know if I owned an airline company why would I have an airplane sitting not doing anything for 10 hours a day or 75% of the day. So the other thing about the new building that we want to completely reimagine is not only what, you know, not only, not only do I ask myself the question, how can people have an arts commons experience, whether or not they bought a ticket, but the other question is how can somebody have an arts commons experience at any time of the day? 
Which is interesting when you think about Calgary's downtown and I had a bit of a culture shock when I moved here. I remember it was a Friday night, it was February, but I'm from Montreal. So I'm like, oh, let's go downtown. It's seven o'clock at night and I saw a tumbleweed and I'm like, oh my God, where have I moved? What have I done? <laughs> so if you think about the daytime Olympic Plaza, like it's inherently busy. And I know with COVID and, and people coming back, I think March 14th is what I've heard is all the major oil and gas companies are coming mm -hmm. back. Uh, it's an interesting time to also capitalize when people are there, they get exposed and then they go, well, geez, Saturday night, let's come back downtown yeah. and go to an event. Cause you know, Stephen Avenue on a Friday afternoon at, at you know, or Friday morning at 10 o'clock is a hustle bustle in the, in the summertime when there's activity. So you're trying to, you're also capitalizing when people are already there now. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> the other thing I, I, I want to throw out there, cause you mentioned oil and gas and I know that there's a, a, I know that the oil and gas industry is perhaps doing better than, than it was a few years ago or certainly recently. Even a few, even a few even months, months ago, some might say. But, <laughs> yeah, totally. but what I love is that people don't seem to be talking about it as much. And it is a it's a different vibe that's happening right now. I I agree. With you. I I'm not sure what the, sure what the phenomenon but is. I appreciate <laughs> it. I appreciate and, and and I've never lived in Calgary during a boom, so I say this as a newcomer. But mm. in my mind, if people if people started talking about this as any old regular boom, I I, I feel like I would just be so frustrated and say. Did we not learn anything over the past two years, of, or at least while I was here? And I'll, I'll share this anecdote because I think it's fascinating. Um, when I was interviewing, this was pre-COVID, right? So, so, so the pandemic had not yet wreaked havoc, but people, but Calgary was seemingly going through an economic depression, and 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 it was funny because I I came out here. This was an interview in December of 2019, and it was clear by then that I was uh, a finalist, and somebody pulled me over pulled me into a corner and said, listen, you, you may want to reconsider coming here because Calgary is kind of on the down and out. We're going through, oh, interesting. We're going through the longest economic depression where you know, safety in the downtown core is not great. And like, I left that conversation feeling a little confused. <laughs> and my wife and I are self-diagnosed foodies. And so uh, a lot of the research we did preparing for these interviews was, okay, where do I go have dinner? Uh, in downtown mm -hmm. Calgary. And, and, and this was, uh, so that person sort of tried scaring me a little bit. It was a Tuesday night in December. It was a, two, this was a Tuesday in December. Um, and I knew that I, I was in town by myself and I was like, I knew that I needed to go have dinner at Bar Vonderfels. I was just going to say, I'm so glad Vonderfels was at the end oh, of the yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what was on the tip of my tongue. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Bar you went to see Will and you kind of yeah. hung out and yeah, you had a real New York. And yeah, yeah, totally and so, nice. And so, and so I knew that that Tuesday night I had to go get a table at Bar Vonderfels. And I, you know, I spent all day in interviews and meetings. So on a Tuesday night at like 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night, I walk over to Bar Vonderfels. And I'm like, I don't need a reservation. I'm just going to walk over. It's late enough. They're mm -hmm. open enough. <laughs> And I literally had a half hour to 40 minute wait just to sit at the bar as a party of one. Yep, I, I believe it. And, and after that, I walked down to 17th and I saw the bars and, and this was December, like this was December, like it was cold. I went to the same person the day after and I was like, listen, I don't mean to, I don't mean to undermine the hardships that people are going through because they are probably very, very real. Mm -hmm. But as somebody that grew up in South America in the 80s, where recession and inflation were literally caused, like you could get, you could get shot on the street for flashing a $5 bill. As somebody that grew up in South America in the eighties, I went out to dinner last night in Calgary and you all are doing fine. 
<laughs> like, and again, I appreciate that perspective. And like, yeah. I, and again, I don't want to undermine the hardships because they're real. Yeah. But 100%. but man, that Tuesday night Calgary was hopping. Um, a, and the, the the point being a Tuesday night in in a cold December yeah. and Vonderfeld Vonderfeld is such a great example. You had the two three weeks in advance where you had to pull the favor card to try to get yeah. even a table there. <laughs> yeah, I know. So anyway, so you know it's. No, I, I and I appreciate some of the conversations I love to have is people from outside of our ecosystem or someone that has roots here and is somewhere else kind of coming back or looking back. So I really pre- appreciate your perspective from the outside. Like You can't see the label when you're inside the bottle. We get, yeah. you know, 2012, 2013, when that downturn started, it was a long time ago. And I have a lot of friends in oil and gas and a lot of friends that felt that they had to move away. And and I have friends that have still done very well in the city. Like our, our down and out was still not bad mm-hmm. on the scale of bad, yeah. like to be to be very clear. But when you come from literally money feeling like it was running like wheelbarrows of money running down the street exaggerated but it was like that for a while i moved here from montreal and caught the the boom in the 2000s and i'm like oh my god i've died and got like what's going on here and montreal had been depressed a great city but like economically not great for many many years and there was no remember the boom like no one had that yeah. story <laughs> where in calgary it's like oh just wait a couple of years it'll be yeah. it'll be fine <laughs> you know i do agree with you i think that and i say this very positive and respectfully i'm glad it lasted as long as it did i'm glad we're getting some reprieve but i think our tech ecosystem what you're talking about in the in the arts community this isn't like diversification has been a mandate in calgary since the 80s from people i talked terry rock over at platform another one of your neighbors uh, down the street and he's like tyler just to be clear the organization was been rebranded but we've been trying to do this for like the past 30 40 years and i think this time it's caught in a different way and i choose to be positive that's 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 the bullish view i I choose to have in calgary and i'm hearing you kind of putting that exact same filter on it from the perspective of the arts but with a business mindset that is going to have a positive impact on our downtown core which we all know needs to be different now and what I find, and, it can't be what it, it won't be what it was. And, and, it's great to hear your perspective. And, and what I find fascinating is that Calgary has sort of built itself on this, you know, can-do mentality. <laughs> get get her done. Get her done. <laughs> That's what I learned. And, that expression when I when I moved here. Get her get done. Get her done. And 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 I and part of the reason I'm here is because that mentality is so embraced. And what I'm trying to prove, and not just me, others, many many others, that. We can, we can get her done in the arts world. We can get her done and put Calgary on the map in ways that is going to make our city proud, in a way that is going to be financially sustainable, in a way that has an economic ripple effect, um, in a way that changes the narrative around diversity and inclusion in our city. Um, it's a win-win. I mean, I don't like... I know that I'm biased, but like I literally can't. I there's no argument that's going to make me reconsider that this is not a good idea. That this is not a wise investment into the future of our city. Well, and your story about you know going to the library and seeing that, and now with what platforms created and what you guys are doing, what do we think about the talent gap and that 1.6 million people by you know 2027, and the tech co- technology companies are moving here? We need the rest of the world to look in and go, hey, you know what? I'm okay to leave where I am, back to your point, but I'm also okay to move to this place. Yeah. Because wow, the mountains are how far away? The cost yeah. of a house is how much? I can like I can experience places like the library and kind of yeah. what's happening downtown. Like those things are all mission critical yeah. for this future that I'm confident that we're building, but we need to keep working at we it. Need, there's, no, yeah. there's no taking your hand off the wheel. No, and and and, and you know, there was somebody at the at the um, at the council meeting that I was re- referencing earlier. There was it was there was a public hearing, and there was one entrepreneur that, and what I loved about it. I think it was April 12th or April 26th, something of, of last year. And it was literally like six hours of testimony 
Not a single arts person spoke, and yet everybody spoke about the arts. And it was mostly the business community. And there was one, there was one a CEO that stood up and said, I mean, stood up virtually, right, because we're doing it all on, online. But he said, listen, as, as an entrepreneur and as the CEO, when I look at where I want to build my headquarters, I'm looking at two things. I'm looking at cost of living and I'm looking at quality of life. If I were only looking at cost of living, I'd go build a warehouse in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so, but I'm also looking at quality of life, which is what makes, and, and what makes Calgary competitive is not just the cost of living, it's public transportation, it's public education, it's the zoo, it's universities, it's arts commons, it's the library. So you need to, it's, it's this, it, as a city, we need to find that balance between, okay, how do we keep cost of living down, which arguably Calgary is and will continue to be when you compare other markets, and yes. say, how do we continue to make it competitive so that we are uh, a, a destination for arts and culture? We are a destination for sports. We are a destination for, uh, you know, for higher education. Like it's, and and he, I mean, he put it so beautifully. And I'm like, how could you argue with that? Yeah, I, and it's come up many times in the show with many talking to you know tech investors or talking to startups and entrepreneurs or people that are just have made the decision to move their their companies here and you know we're five people but we're going to a hundred and yeah. we need to know we're in a place that we can one get talent but also all those other things are in place because yeah. if you're going to move that top talent they're often coming from cities that have a very strong backbone of all those things. To, uh, uh, Aside from then, cost of living—that's where we really yeah. beat out. And the mountains are just down the road. I don't know if you've noticed that. Oh, I go, I go there every. <laughs> it's every ridiculously weekend. close. It's, <laughs> it's fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah, compared to being in New York and having to make literally go on an expedition to get out of the city. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, I don't. I mean, once once travel restrictions lift or or get easier, I'm telling everybody to come visit Calgary. Nice. I mean, and that's how it starts. I've talked to a lot of yeah. people came here on a, for a weekend to visit a friend and was like, "Whoa, wait a second, or came for a meeting and went, yeah. Whoa, this is, this is not what I thought when the, you don't want to move to Calgary story gets kicked. Oh, out. the amount of people that have, that have told me that they came to Calgary on a three-year contract 30 years ago. <laughs> is amazing yes. yes no we've got a best, best best kept secret so i'm doing my best to tell everybody and so and so are you yeah. alex thanks so much for your candor your time coming on the show for your passion and, and you're you know picking up and leaving new york and coming here to have an impact on our amazing city that's we're a collection of ragtag people from all over the place and i you rarely do meet the 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 you know the, the calgarians but so many people i, I also find we're so open because yeah. we're all from somewhere else yeah. well, it's like, so new york. like it's well, like where are you from and what's yeah. your experience yeah yeah, completely. Who's who's really an authentic New Yorker? Yeah. Right? But but I'll tell you what, it's the greatest decision we ever made. And um, and there's no no regrets whatsoever. Uh, I please say that. Well, well, we are happy to have you. Like, I, thank you. I, I, I love it. And more people. I, 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 and it was so recent. And the fact you came here just before COVID, and I love that storyline of kind of the why and the thought process. Mm -hmm. And now you're having it. You know, it, and and it's it's coming true. And it's exceeding expectations, which is yeah. always great. Um, uh, stating the obvious, but ArtsCommons.ca. If someone's curious to learn more about the project or get involved with you guys in any way, obviously your website is a wealth of knowledge, and it's quite entertaining and distracting as I'm watching it on my other screen over here. Is there any other ways anybody can reach out? get a hold of you what's your uh, throw, throw out your details yeah so um, the website is absolutely the best place to go to not only for the work that we're doing with the building so arts commons transformation is on there but also take a look at what's happening in the building with all the resident companies take a look at what's happening outside of the building with our outdoor performances take a look at you know arts commons incubator um, we are committing okay. ourselves so the one thing that we didn't really touch on but we arts expeditions was sort of a, a little bit of it not only are we committed to bringing world-class artists to Calgary, 
we're also committed to giving amazing Calgary artists access to world-class venues. And it's this two-it's this two-way street, right? We we have we have venues and concert halls that musicians from around the world want to play in, but we also have talent in Calgary that we want to stay in Calgary. And so we give them a platform on which to perform, on which to uh, better themselves, on which to tell us how we need to look differently. So Arts Commons Incubator, we have cabarets coming up. We have lots of programs. Take a look at the incredible talent that lives in Calgary. Um, and anybody that wants to find me, I can be found on uh, social media uh, uh, at Alex Sarian. Um, I try to stay as active as possible, try to keep my finger on the pulse of what Calgary is asking for. Um, because arts commons needs to stop, and I think the arts in general, we need to stop being arbiters of excellence and we need to start creating hubs where people want to come to and share their energy and exchange with artists. Um, and so that takes, that requires us to, to move away from this idea that we know what's best and rather we are a home where you can tell us what you want and we have enough space and we have enough talent to say, we're going to give you what you want and exceed your expectations. So uh, engage with us in any way that you can. Alex, that is a perfect mic drop moment. Thank you very much for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to watching this journey to continue to unfold. Thank you, awesome. Tyler. Thanks, Alex. My pleasure. Thank you.